Atroz. Wait. Don't hurt the child. If you put one mark on him, there's no place you will be able to hide from me. We can strike a bargain. There's a lot of value in this wreckage. Take your pick. But leave the child. Oh, greetings, Bucketheads. Midvar Tegar. Welcome to the 12th action-packed episode of MandoVision, Nargai Tom. Thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. Today, we are here to discuss Season 2, Episode 2 of The Mandalorian. This is Chapter 10, The Passenger, written by the one and only John Favreau and directed by Peyton Reed. You may recognize him as the director of Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. Remember, the best way to reach out and support this podcast is via social media. You can do so at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and share the show with all the other Mandalorians in your clan. Alrighty then, this week we are here to have a conversation. Let's kind of talk about it. Let's kind of get into it. What were your initial thoughts of, of this week's episode of The Mandalorian? Did you, were you guys happy? Was it a bit of a letdown after uh, the excitement and the high energy and high stakes of the debut of the new season? Uh, personally, I, I did like this episode. There were a, a, a few uh, inconsistencies, and we'll, ta- we'll kind of talk about those as as uh, we, we kind of get into, into the reviewing of the episode at, uh, proper in its whole uh, but a few little little uh, script things here and there that I was like, I, I had questions about. I'm going to present those questions to this wonderful audience. And, and again, reach out to me via social media and let me know uh, your thoughts or, or maybe where uh, maybe where I missed something. And, and uh, that's why I don't understand whatever's happening. All right. So listen, let, let's kind of get into it. And so here we go. Strap on your buckets. This episode's great, uh, but I'll be I'll be perfectly frank. It's uh, it throws a curveball at you right away because it opens. We're back on Tatooine. Mando is racing across the the Tatooine desert on the on the speeder. Boba Fett armor in tow. The child is with him, and and uh, we see uh, figures, mysterious figures, setting a trap for the Mandalorian. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, uh, my first inclination was like, oh, oh, we're getting into this now. Boba Fett has these these goons in his employ setting a trap for the Mandalorian. Like, we're getting to this right away. We're not playing around. Ah, it turns out we were playing around. <laughs> these are just uh, just bandits, just scavengers out to rob the Mandalorian, try to get some, some uh, items of value off of him. Uh, the first alien species that we see, you, you will probably recognize the, the Nikto. There are several different iterations of the Nikto that, that was uh, exists within their species. This is this is the classic red Nikto, by the way. There's also a modified human in the group. Uh, he has like these weird binoc-looking things strapped across his head. But they pull a rope that that sends the Mandalorian flying across the air. Uh, and I thought what the neatest part was he was able to quickly use his uh, rocket pack to catch himself to prevent himself from crashing into the Earth. Or to the to Tatooine's surface, I should say. Uh, but what's interesting about that is, uh, well, 
Baby Yoda, on the other hand, does go flying across the surface of the planet and, and tumbles and rolls and uh, breaks our little hearts as, as he uh, makes impact with the terrain, with that harsh desert terrain of Tatooine. And then conflict ensues as they attempt to... They see the Mandalorian isn't, isn't uh, taken down by the rope they put across in his path, which I suppose the Mandalorian should be pretty lucky because, uh, you know, if that rope had been a little bit higher and, and <laughs> probably taken the put it would have taken his head clean off. Beskar armor be damned. So he's kind of got, he's kind of lucky that it got, got the bike instead of him. But again, the, the effect where he fires off the rocket back to catch himself in midair, really, really neat. And again, at least this conflict with these bandits that are attempting to rob him. Again, there's a Nikto in the group. And then interestingly enough, uh, I've, I've double-checked the internet to try and find, find some clarification, but this this one smaller diminu- diminutive alien species looks much like the the Tito that we saw in The Force Awakens on, on Jakku. Now, Titos apparently are the name of a species. And I thought, I, but watching The Force Awakens, I thought, I, thought it was, I thought it was a proper name, but apparently Titos are a sentient reptilian species and they wear that that armor, that suit, to kind of protect them from the the harsh environments around them. Uh, so I thought it was a Tito. I've been able to not really confirm that the the armor is not quite the same. The uh, I shouldn't say armor, but the kind of face plating that's on the character is not quite the same. But it looks similar enough that I I think this is possibly our first appearance of a Tito prior to the events of the Force Awakens. So that's pretty exciting, I suppose, if you were a fan of that. And this this Tito, allegedly this Tito, I'll say allegedly because I, I can't quite confirm, this Tito inadvertently aids the Mandalorian in defeating some of the foes that he has to fight off against. Uh, but he also takes the child hostage and holds a knife to him. And this leads to the Mandalorian's, what we used in the opening of the show, at the attempting to negotiate with the Tito. So that the baby is, the child is protected, put the baby down and I'll give you whatever you want. There's all that that's all there. We see the Tito looking at Boba Fett's armor again, sort of feeling our, our suspicion that maybe maybe they are working for for Boba Fett. I guess we can't disprove at this point that they aren't. But you would have thought Boba Fett would have been there to you know lend a hand or perhaps uh, uh, jump in and have some combat with their hero. So let's just for now we will pretend there is no connection there. The Tito decides he wants the rocket pack, the Boba Fett's, or, I'm sorry, Jesus. He wants Din Djarin's rocket pack, the, the Phoenix, for various reasons. I don't know why. It looks cool. It looks shiny. Uh, but the Tito doesn't think this one through because, well, Din sends him uh, flying into the air once he has safely recovered the child. And it, it is pretty humorous to see <laughs> the the body of the Tito just sort of drop out of the sky and uh, the rocket pack return to Din and the child. It's also funny to watch uh, Baby Yoda's expression as this all kind of plays out. <laughs> Some good stuff going on there. Uh, I like this opening sequence, but again, like I like I said, it um, it was. I thought we were going to go in a different different direction, and like I said, I thought we were going to get into it right away with with the man who is potentially Boba Fett. I guess we can't confirm that it's Boba Fett at this point, but the popular assumption is that this is Boba Fett. So as the rocket pack lands back down to the surface of Tatooine, that's when the opening credit rolls, the opening, uh, the, the music hits, and we get the, the title card, Chapter 10, The Passenger. All right, well, the speeders have been wrecked, and now the Mandalorian has to hike across the desert, hauling all of his supplies. Remember, he took not only Boba Fett's armor back with him, but a big chunk of the Krayt Dragon meat. 
So he has to secure that, and he has a long walk ahead of him back to Moss Eisley. But eventually, he will get there, which is good news. So, But still, a long walk. And again, we, we sort of talked about it a little bit before. That armor can't be uh, the most friendly in the, in that, in those uh, in warm desert environments. Um, but he seems okay, no worse for wear. He's uh, not dunking his head into water basins as soon as he comes back to town. But yeah, he uh, he makes his way back to Mos Eisley eventually. We make our way back to the cantina, and we catch back up with with our, our favorite, Amy Sedaris. With Pelimoto in the cantina, playing Sabak against an insect insectoid species that... Uh, well, listen, this has got to be a shout out to Peyton Reed, right? Because, I mean, this this looks like a giant ant that she's, she's playing Sabak with. Now, interestingly enough, there are a lot of different species in... Uh, insectoid species in Star Wars, but the the real rub is uh, that, well, um, <laughs> some of them aren't exactly in canon, and uh, based on the, the research I've done on the internet, it's a little unclear which one it could be. So my first thought of it, that was that it was, that it was a Veerpine, which is from the old Expanded Universe canon, and the Veerpine were uh, revered in the old canon as uh, as like technological geniuses. They were really gifted starship builders and things of that nature. Uh, another website I tried to confirm with, uh, seemed, and they, they, weren't, they, didn't sh- they weren't sure either. They thought, they thought it was a Killix, which is another insectoid species from uh, the old Star Wars EU continuity. And, uh, well, none of us are sure, <laughs> which I guess is, I mean, that's, that's the risk we run doing these, doing these podcasts like day of. You know, there may be more information uh, that, that is let out later, but we will get into that later as well. I mean, again, if that's made known, uh, I will address that on here on the podcast and, and issue like a correction or an oversight. So stay tuned on that front, all right? But let's, let's get back. They're playing Sabic. That's exciting. All right, well, enough speculating about what the insectoid alien species is. If they want to tell us, they're going to tell us. Uh, Pelimoto introduces him as Dr. Mandible, which is very much an ant reference. Uh, so, hey, Peyton Reed's clearly directing this episode of the show as they're, they're shouting out ant parts. And uh, she's uh, Dan is filling her in on what happened with his encounter with the Mandalorian, how he wasn't a Mandalorian, and blah, 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 blah. So now he needs information uh, from... from she, He needs a new set of... another lead to begin to follow uh, other Mandalorians. But Dr. Mandible seems to have one. The only condition is that he wants the Mandalorian to stake him in the Sabbath game. 500 credits, which uh, Din is loath to lose, but if it helps him find or, or get another lead on the Mandalorians, then he'll do it. So, hey, why not? And uh, Pelly also tricks him and says that uh, Dr. Mandalorian is on a hot streak. So Mando coughs up the money, which is promptly lost because uh, Pelly has an idiot's array, which in Sabbath is pretty much an invincible hand. But Dr. Mandible keeps his promise. So tells him about a, another Mandalorian culvert, and or at least they will. She, he has a contact he's going to send over to the hangar. So they're going to go back to the hangar. It's time to go back to the hangar. And they're going to cook up that wonderful crate dragon meat. And they do so using a pod raising engine, which apparently is a big reference, is a big Easter egg to uh, the Ronto Roasters of Star Wars Land. And when, you're, when you enter Star Wars Land at Disney World, Disneyland, and uh, you go to the Planet Batu, that's how you get your meat at the Ronto Roasters restaurant. <laughs> so, 
So there you go. There you have it. <laughs> a pot raising engine cooks the, the crack dragon meat, and everyone's going to eat them. So here we get to meet our contact, the 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 title character of this episode, the passenger. The uh, the Mandalorian covert is close. It's one sect one sector over the next star system. I'm sorry, the next is in the next star system. Uh, but this contact is going to lead them to them. The trick is the catch is the Mandalorian has to give them passage to the system, and it has to be at sublight speed. So. Who's the passenger? Well, passenger doesn't have a name. We don't know the species of the character, uh, but is simply identified as a uh, frog lady. So there you go. And she has to travel at subway speed because she's bringing the last of her eggs, uh, which are the last of her line. The last, uh, the, it sounds like the last of her line, not like the last of her species necessarily, but the last of her genetic line. And so to protect them, they have to go at sublight or hyperspace will damage the eggs and they will not be able to be fertilized by her husband when they reach him at the planet Trask. Actually, I'm not sure if it's a planet or if it's a moon, but uh, that's where they have to go. And uh, Frog Lady is an interesting character, uh, played by, in, in the bodysuit, is, is actor, as actor Misty Rojas, who played uh, Kuil in, in the bodysuit in the first episode, uh, or I'm sorry, in the first season. Uh, and again, uh, the character has a different voice. It's not Missy Ross doing the voiceovers. It's actually D. Ba Bradley Baker from Star Wars The Clone Wars fame and Star Wars Rebels fame. So interesting, interesting stuff going on there. So it gets a little interesting. <laughs> it's a little strange here. Baby Yoda catch sight, catches sight of these eggs, and he's uh, instantly appealed to them, attracted to these eggs. He's drawn to them. And I, I, I guess I should have figured out what was going to happen, but I guess I was hoping it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we'll talk about that as it plays out. So, Pelly lays out the deal. Frog Lady needs transport, needs to get these eggs there, needs to get fertilized, but he knows where the Mandalorian covert is. And once they get there, he'll get the, inf Mandalorian will get the information, Mando will get the info, and they'll, uh, they'll, uh, they'll, each, each, you know, one hand washes the other, that sort of thing. So, uh, interesting in this this episode is uh, Mandalor Mando has a uh, communication barrier with the, the Frog Lady character. He can't understand her, can't speak the language, which I think is the first time we really have seen that from, from Mando. He seems pretty well versed. And uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's Peli who does the communicating between the two of them. And, and, and so these two are not going to be able to communicate on this flight, which is something that has, does get addressed later on as it becomes more important. So, oh, what I thought was interesting here, uh, as they are transporting off of Tatooine and they're traveling sublight, is uh, I, I love that the, the, that uh, Din mentions the the dangers that that await traveling at sublight speeds. You know, pirates and and, and junkers and and all kinds of mercenaries, things like that that can uh, they basically want to rob you and kill you, and so it's it's very very dangerous to travel at sublight speeds. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Frog Lady's in the in the cockpit with with Din. That seems like a... I don't know. That just seemed odd to me, I suppose. I, I guess I would have assumed she would have stayed down uh, in, in the kind of cabin area or the, uh, the lower decks area, you know, with her eggs and such. Which, again, another weird choice is if her eggs are so valuable, uh, why... why not... Uh, why not keep those a little bit closer instead of leaving them down there where baby Yoda is lurking... 
And uh, again, Baby Yoda is strangely fascinated with these eggs. And I, sh- I guess it should have come as no r- big surprise to me that uh, his fascination with them isn't so much of like what they are or like the life that they could bring if fertilized. No, he simply wants to eat them. Which I, I'm not going to lie. I found this a little odd or off-putting. Um, don't know if disturbing is the right word I want to use. But it was definitely a little odd that Baby Yoda's eating the last of this lady's uh, uh, her, 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 uh, genetic line, you know, I suppose the, the potentially the last of her children. <laughs> it's so there's something kind of twisted about that. Right. <laughs> uh, and you know, and Din catches him a couple times, but I think baby Yoda throughout the course of the episode eats at least three of the eggs. Uh, there might be a fourth. Uh, so I don't know, baby. <laughs> it's, it's a little weird. Uh, this is a weird baby Yoda episode overall, because, uh, he seems to, the child seems to trigger a lot of the events of the episode, um, and it's not. I'm not positive that it's it's fair to say that the child is is uh, sort of just like an impetus for events to happen, but is not actually contributing to the solutions in any way. Uh, that seems like a, an over over. I don't know. It, 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 I don't like that critique of it necessarily, but I I would like to see. Uh, the baby contribute, or I'd like to see the child contribute on a more uh, even level. Like, if it's going to help stir the pot and get events going, it should have something to do with the solution, too. Like, you know, at one point, uh, Din, later in the episode, will, will tell the child, like, you know, to, you know, help out, do something, prove your worth kind of kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I'm with them in, in, in a broader sense for the entire series. Like, Baby Yoda needs to kind of be a little bit more of a contributor here. But we'll see. Again, I. What do you think about the egg scene? I was. Um, it was. I guess. I guess it's funny, and I guess I. I'm assuming the younger audience will definitely like it. Uh, I, I think maybe I'm just thinking of, of uh, as an old man, where I'm just like, wow, Baby Yoda is, is is eating that lady's unfertilized children, and potentially ruining her day if she can't get these eggs safely, to her husband to fertilize. It's like that just seems kind of twisted in a weird way. Uh, I don't know. Am I way off base? <laughs> <laughs> Let me know. So the Mandalorian excuses himself from the cockpit. He set the nav computer. He's going to go hit the rack for a little bit, get Baby Yoda. But this is when he catches Baby Yoda eating the eggs. And uh, he's not too happy about that. <laughs> so he takes the child away, tells him not to do that anymore. That's not food. And, but it's time to hit the rack now. And they're going to get a little shut-eye. So we find out that Baby Yoda and, and Din share the cabin together. Baby Yoda has a cute little hammock. And uh, Din's gonna tuck himself in for a little nappy nap. Full armor, full gear. Doesn't doesn't demat. You know nothing like that. He just goes to sleep in the gear. He's woken up by alarms. Enemy or enemy ships have triggered the alarms. I should say, but we find out it is the forces of the New Republic as two X-wings come alongside on either side of the Razor Crest. Razor Crest. My goodness. So there's a whole exchange with these X-wing pilots. And how the Razor Crest doesn't need to have a transponder because he's pre pre Empire surplus, uh, but now that the New Republic's calling the shots, all ships must have transponders, and it's uh, you know it's you know, bureaucracy in action out here in the Outer Rim. Uh, then there's an interesting sector section here that I, I not sure again this is this is that script issue that I, I had a little bit of a of a issue with, and I wanted to bring it up. Uh, you know. The Mandalorian basically is attempting to talk his way out of a speeding ticket here, uh, or some kind of you know moving violation that's uh, an, an infraction that seems to have caught the attention of these New Republic X-wing fighters. 
uh, in the process, he sort of just, you know, he's kind of you know, nodding his head in his green and saying the placating words that he needs to say to put the new republic at ease and uh, get out of this as quickly as he can and move on with his, his mission. Uh, and he says to the X-Wing pilots, as it seems like the conversation is coming to an end, he says, may the force be with you. You know, which is what you say to the in in, in the in the rebellion now new republic, right? That's kind of like your sign off moniker that shows you're you're all on the same side. We're all friends here, uh, except that the Din doesn't seem to have much familiarity with the Force in any other time. So I'm 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 sort of curious: is he just saying that because he's heard that's what you say to new republic types? You just say the may the Force be with you, even though you have no idea what that means. It's just something you say to get out of a confrontation with the new republic. Uh, or does he not realize that the force is what Baby Yoda has been using? Or, in the intervening time since season one into season two, uh, has Din become a little bit more familiar with these uh, enemy sorcerers of the Mandalorians? So the, the I was again, it's it's not a, a high stakes criticisms by any means. I'm just kind of curious. It's just, it's just kind of something that, that uh, was rattling around in my brain when he said it. And I was like, oh, well, that's an interesting uh, thing for him to say at this moment in time. But it doesn't get the New Republic to go away. So they are asking for a ping. And, well, the Mandalorian is not quite sure he's going he's gonna to do the, do the ping. So the Mando sends the ping reluctantly. Uh, and then we get a little communication back and forth between the two X-Wing pilots. Uh, something has occurred. The ping, I, I'm not quite sure what the ping is. I, it sounds like it's, it's some kind of uh, transmission, some kind of a signal that uh, can help the ship be, be uh, detected in some sort of registry or something like that because they, he's, he, transmit that, he transmits that ping and all of a sudden information becomes available to the X-Wing pilots. They switch to a private channel and after a brief conversation, you see the X-Wings open the S-foils lock into attack position. The next question out of the mouths of the, the New Republic pilots is they're asking them, asking Mando if he was anywhere in the vicinity of New Republic Correctional Transport Bothan 5, which, as we know, is a callback to last season's season six, or, I'm sorry, last season's sixth episode, The Prisoner. So we know the answer is yes, and that is when Mando decides it's time to get the fudge out of there. And as they do so, we, we cut into the cockpits of the X-Wing fighters and we see who it was or is in pursuit of our of our main Mandalorian. And it would be none other than Dave Filoni himself returning as his X-Wing pilot character, Trapper Wolf. That was really cool to see, seeing Dave back in action. Uh, but most interestingly, to me at least... <laughs> I'm going to sound like such a dork. I, I don't care. The other X-Wing pilot is actor uh, Paul Sun Wang Lee. I hope I said his name right. Paul Sun Wang Lee, uh, who is on one of my, my current favorite shows, uh, a, a show that uh, is, is in the Canadas. The day, it runs in the Canadas. It's called Kim's Convenience. It is a show that my wife and I have uh, discovered on Netflix uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, during the initial uh, shutdown of the state of California when stay-at-home orders were in place, and and uh, now granted we were we are considered essential employees, so we were always at work, uh, but there was nowhere to go. I mean everything was closed. You remember how the shutdown went? It, it, there was nowhere to go, no fun to be had. So a lot of Netflix was consumed, and we came across the show Kim's Convenience, and we sort of watched it. I uh, just kind of on a, on a whim. We're like, oh, that looks like it might be interesting. We'll watch the first episode and see how it goes. And uh, it's a it's a real it's a really hilarious show about a a, uh, a Korean family 
that uh, the, the parents are immigrants from Korea. Their children are firstborn Canadians. And they run a store, a convenience store, uh, in, in the suburbs of Toronto. And uh, fun and, sh- and shenanigans ensue. Check it out on Netflix. Uh, so seeing him as the X-Wing pilot, as the other X-Wing pilot, he, uh, was pretty darn awesome. And uh, he actually has a name, and I wrote it down, but I'll get it for you in a second. But the other thing that's interesting about 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 uh, about Paul is that he, he not only is he, is he a huge Star Wars fan, like like the many of us are, uh, but he's also a big Star Wars cosplayer. He he spends a lot of time making his own Star Wars costumes, uh, and and it's uh, it's again it's really really cool. If you follow him on Insta- Instagram, his uh, his handle is at Angry Appa, uh, Angry A P P A Appa, which is uh, his character. His name his name is that that's Korean for father on the show. Um, Again, big Star Wars fan, makes his own costumes. Follow his Instagram. You'll see the costumes that he makes. I mean, they're wonderful. They are really high-skill-level, uh, uh, high top-tier reproductions of, of Star Wars costumes. And he's, he's made uh, uh, several of them, including X-Wing pilots. But he's also been uh, scout troopers. And, and he, uh, he's, done, he's just done a ton, ton, ton of them. You can go through his Instagram feed and find them. So he's, he's a big, big fan. And he's, he's, he's one of the fans, like, one of the few like, celebrity fans that I know that engages in cosplay and, and the making of the Star Wars costumes and, and making them uh, as authentic as, as possible. So I thought it was really, really cool to see, to see Paul Sun Wang Lee uh, as the New Republic pilot. He even has a name. He's Captain Carson Tiva. So not only just, he's not just X-Wing pilot number two. He's Captain Carson Tiva. He is now part of Star Wars lore. Star Wars mythology, he is part of it all. And I thought that was really, really awesome. So after that little diatribe there, you know, we'll just kind of let the show go at this point. I'm done. I'm all out of fun stuff for y'all. No, just kidding. But this has been, uh, again, Mando goes on the run. He dives to the surface of the nearby planet. And we find out it's a very icy planet. But we get a really cool chase sequence between the two X-Wings and the Razor Crest as they, they work their way through this through this atmosphere. And we... we you know, again, I, this is this is the ice planet we saw in the trailers that a lot of people have speculated was Ilum, that some other people have speculated is Hoth, uh, but that doesn't seem appropriate at all because Hoth has its own Hoth. The Hoth system is its own system. We're in Tatooine. You know, we're going to the next system over. I don't think the next system over is Hoth. Uh, that sounds like information we would have had by now. Uh, and obviously, if this is Ilum or Ilum, uh, we we we're not privy to that information just yet in this episode. The, there is a, some sites have suggested that this is a different planet altogether. Maldo Crease is the name of the planet that it's... Uh, there's, there's some information on the internet that leads us to believe that that is where the action is taking place in this episode. Uh, Maldo Crease, a, a, a hereto unknown ice planet prior, uh, prior to what we've, what we've seen. <laughs> that was a weird sentence. I apologize completely for that. So our hero does some fancy flying, some fancy maneuvering, and he he brings the Razor Crest into a skidding landing that tucks it into a little bit of an alcove out of the sight of the X-wing pilots. They were hot in pursuit, so he evades them. Uh, but the Razor Crest isn't safe where he's where he's landed it. It actually is about to fall through the ice, not thick enough. He's above an ice cave, and uh, he's got a heavy spaceship, and so. Before they can take off again, they sink into the ice cave, and that is where things get 
dark and scary real quick. At this point, the show takes on... Well, I should say, as after after the Razor Crest crashes through and we, we crash it down into the ice cave, the ship is badly damaged. It can't just take off again. Uh, there are There are circumstances that, again, are going to prevent them from leaving right away. Mando has to come to once he comes to his senses. He has to get down into the into the hold. He has to find the child. He has to find Baby Yoda. And again, we find, once we do, we we find Baby Yoda eating more eggs. God knows how many he's eaten at this point of the episode. Even we're hoping the Mando caught him before he ate too many more. Maybe just one more at this point. But this is the, the ship's in bad shape. Everything's going straight to hell. Uh, and this is when uh, the the tone of the episode sort of changes and and it becomes uh, almost a horror movie. You know, we're we're in a we're in a crash ship. We're stranded basically. Uh, we're on an alien planet that we don't know much about, and it it, it begins to take a turn. And that's sort of the sort of some horror elements that sort of creep into this episode uh, as as it kind of plays out. And and part of that is is uh well, it's the big thing coming up next. You know, fast forwarding a little bit into the show, uh, Mando's kind of uh, he's kind of beaten down with this. He feels like the like they're just you know sh- sol in this scenario, and. Uh, it's gonna take a little. It's gonna take. It's gonna take more help than he's able to provide to get them out of this. And and he kind of feels like the deal is off at this point. And that that very very much angers uh, a frog lady. So while Mando sleeps, frog lady gets to work uh, on a little project of hers. She notices a Q nine zero pinned up against the wall there because Mando keeps him around in case he needs spare droid parts. Apparently, uh, Mando is awoken by the voice of Q nine zero once again played by the wonderful Richard Ayoade. I am a big fan of Richard Ayoade, so I was very, very glad to see him come back to the role, see him come back to this Star Wars, this corner of the Star Wars universe. Uh, so he freaks out. He's not real stoked. He pulls the gun, points it right at Q90, who pinned up against the wall. But it's not actually Q90 speaking. Fro- Frog Lady has activated his, uh, his vocal recorders, so she's able to use him now as a translator. So they are able to, to finally communicate with one another, and she... Uh, invokes the code of the Mandalorian uh, on Mando. Uh, tells him that they had a they had a bargain, they had an agreement, and the code of the Mandalorian dictates that he must oblig- fulfill his obligation to her and deliver her to the agreed upon location as 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 the deal was as the deal they agreed to. So this sort of kicks uh, Mando right right in the in the in the Besker plated underpants and gets him to go outside and begin repairs on the Razor Crest. Because, yeah, you know, he lives by the code. He dies by the code, right? That's the way it's got to be. That's the life of the Mando. So he gets to work. Baby Yoda's outside with him. They're playing around. He, Baby Yoda's kind of working around the ship and doing stuff. Mando wants him to come and be helpful. But it's, you know, maybe it's Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda's not, the, he's not, he's not down with that mechanical work. He hasn't shown an aptitude for starship repair. We're not there yet. We're not there. Maybe he becomes a, baby, a, a starship repairman at some point down the road. He's not there yet. He's just Baby Yoda. He's just the child. You can't give him a, a, a spot welder. That's not going to work. Not going to be good for anybody. You give him a welding torch. Anyways, he alerts Man- Baby Yoda, the child, alerts Mando to the fact that Frog Lady has left the ship and gone off into further into the ice caves. For what reasons, we don't know. But we will find out. So Mando Vision engages Mando Vision. I guess I should have said it differently. Mando engages Mando Vision so he can track the heat signature. Though I suppose he probably just could have looked at the footprints in the snow. Either way, they track down Frog Lady to a, uh, a natural hot spring within the within the ice cave, and she's in there frolicking in the 
hot, well, I shouldn't say frolicking. That makes it sound like she was playing around. She's in the hot spring. She has her eggs surrounding her, you know, giving them a nice warm bath, keeping them, uh, uh, you know, uh, alive. What goes alive? You know, uh, able to be fertilized, not dead, not consumed by baby Yoda at this point. So, you know, she's keeping them viable. I guess we'll go with that word. Uh, as Mando is, is, is convincing her, hey, we got to get you out of here. Uh, it's getting dark soon. We don't know what kind of critters are, are, are floating around these ice caves on this on this ice, strange ice planet, uh, which whose name I already have forgotten. So I got to try to remember to say these names better more often. So I, they stick in my brain. Maldo Crease. There you go. <laughs> Maldo Crease. The uh, 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 baby Yoda goes wandering, goes exploring because around the, this this thermal port, this this uh, natural hot spring in this ice cave, are these little egg-looking uh, things on the ground. You know, at first you kind of you know they don't focus on them initially in the, in the shot. It's just you're just kind of seeing there in the background, and they look like they might be some kind of weird rock pattern, but not so much because this is when the movie. The, when, I'm sorry, when the episode is is really embracing its its sort of a darker tone for this episode, where it sort of shifts into a bit of a a sci-fi horror element, uh, because this is very reminiscent of LV-426. This is this is the planet. This is like being in the ship on LV-426 from Alien. Little eggs around. Baby Yoda wanders into this field of the eggs. And, uh, you know, he's Baby Yoda. He's shown in this episode. He is uh, in one of these uh, insatiably hungry cycles of, of his lifespan where he just, he's just got to be eaten. If he ain't eating, he ain't happy right now. So he cracks into one of these eggs. No shame, no remorse about it whatsoever. Just cracks into one of them pulls out the contents and slurps it down. He seems to enjoy it, but we see we, we can kind of see what's inside that egg and uh, I'll be honest, not appetizing. Not appetizing. So he so as he cracks in the egg, he seems to have uh stirred something. Whether something has like some kind of psychic sense of its eggs or perhaps baby Yoda just disturbed the field and alerted the other eggs to a, a presence nearby. Who's to say? But he 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 upset something is is what it seems to be implying. And the other eggs begin to begin to shake, begin to crack, begin the the scary entities within these eggs that he just had slurped down a moment ago begin to come forth, and they are little scary spider monsters. And we should talk about these little spider monsters because there there's a, a deeper connection to some Star Wars lore uh, that uh, definitely is worth discussing. Uh, now, a couple of people who work in Lucasfilm have come out and said this is not the exact thing. Uh, but that's okay. All right. So listen, what I'm what I'm alluding to is, you're a Star Wars fan. You probably know this these deep cuts here. So Ralph McQuarrie, the the visual concept artist for much of the original Star Wars trilogy, he's the he's the artist who sort of gave Star Wars its look through his amazing concept art. And you can see this 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 art work is readily available. Google it on the internet. But there's there's beautiful hardback books just full of his concept drawings. Uh, most interesting uh, are, are the concept drawings for for Episode Four for A New Hope, when when the look of the film and the look of the characters and the and the armor and the, and the planets and the ships were all sort of being uh, visualized, and you kind of see the evolution into what we got on on the screen. It, it's a fascinating fascinating process. Uh, he's uh, excuse me, Ralph stayed on board, stayed with Lucas, and helped do the concept art for for Empire Strikes Back and for Return of the Jedi as well. And why not? The the looks were more defined by that point. So you just keep the guy who's 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 made your look so distinct. And some of the concept stuff he came up with for for Empire Strikes Back featured a large 
a white knobby kneed sort of a sort of spider creature that Luke would encounter on Dagobah in his training with Yoda. Not to be used, obviously. We obviously have seen The Empire Strikes Back. The, this was a, a, a concept that went unused, and, and that's okay. Uh, but during the course of, of a couple different... Uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm kind of stepping over my words here a little bit. As I said, though, the Macquarie artwork became very readily available to the public. Like, we were able to see it through books and through the Star Wars Fan Club magazine, Star Wars Insider. Uh, so, so we all got to see these amazing pieces of art that were that were you know never to be brought to film but were still fascinating looks inside the star wars universe um and in corners that maybe would be explored one day later down the road and eventually uh, the, the 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 knobby spider-legged creature would come to be in, in some of the expanded universe stuff and we would see uh slightly different iterations of them in several different video games and there's another different, slightly different iteration of them in the star wars fallen order video game i believe it's when you're on a kashyyyk I think I might be getting my my levels mixed up in that in that in that game, but you, again, there's an iteration of them there. And then, uh, if for anyone who did watch Star Wars Rebels prior to season two of The Mandalorian beginning, which again I, I did strongly urge you to do, they are very reminiscent to the the Krikna that were featured in uh, the season two episode of The Mystery of Chopper Base. Well, someone has come out and said they are not the same as the Krikna, and they are not necessarily the creatures we've seen in the other video games and, and other pieces of old EU canon that or EU lore that are no longer canon. Uh, but just an, another creature that is, is inspired by and, and derived by that original Ralph McQuarrie artwork from The Empire Strikes Back. So uh, an interesting piece of, uh, of information, just a fun little nugget that uh, sort of acts as the spine of this episode, which I thought was really, really cool, really, really neat touch. Uh, again, because it was one of those moments where I, I instantly recognized the creature from the artwork. But again, there, there have been other iterations of that character, of this creature, I should say, through throughout Star Wars uh, in, in various forms of media. But it's very, very cool. And, and again, if you, if you haven't checked out, if you're not familiar with the Ralph McQuarrie work, like I said, get on, get on your Google device, get on your uh, local bookstore, and, and go, go look it up because uh, it's, it's fascinating, fascinating stuff. And you'll also come across the early designs for Boba Fett when he was going to be simply a, a super stormtrooper. Awesome. Maybe we'll have to do an episode of the show where we talk about that. But anyways, that leads to, again, these eggs hatch. They are coming out. They're going to come and pursue our heroes, Mando, Frog Lady, and Baby Yoda, back to the back to the Razor Crest, which, you know, again, torn up, holes in the hull. It's not a secure... Uh, vessel like getting inside the razor crest is not going to keep those little spider creatures out and by the way the spider creatures are of various sizes there are the little small hatchlings there are guns that are bigger and bigger and bigger and then there's like the mama spider one who is gigantic and they, again this uh, the horror elements kind of come through as as all of these spiders pouring through the ice caves chasing our heroes pursuing them into the razor crest eventually you know, and Mando's doing a good job of shooting them. Fires the flamethrower a couple times. Throws some bombs at them. Blows them all to hell. But it's but it's to no avail. There's just the numbers are just too great. So they have to run and they run and they run and they get back to the Razor Crest, and they try to fend them off on the outside. But again, the the sheer number of these spider creatures is just daunting, overwhelming, and eventually they they make a break to try and isolate themselves in the cockpit in the cabin of the Razor Crest because that's the one area that he can still seal off. 
except there's so many of them, he can't close the freaking doors. Uh, he uses the flamethrower. Eventually, he's able to get the doors closed. They're going to try and take off in, 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 tr in poor condition, but they have to go. They have to get out of there. They're going to die if they don't get off the planet immediately. Uh, and that's when Mama Spiderlegs come crashing through the cockpit and uh, make things real difficult for our heroes. Now, before I get into what happens next, I, I want to pause here to mention something else because I sort of talked about how uh, earlier in the episode, as, as Amanda was walking through the desert uh, with all the all the gear strapped across his shoulders, and I was like, you know, kind of talking about how it's got to be hot in that armor in the in the in the, the binary suns of Tatooine, uh, and how you know how does that Beskar deal with the weather? Like, is is there some kind of insulation? I've, there has to be some kind of insulation in the suit to help keep him cool in those conditions juxtapose that to our current environments this 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 cold remote ice planet and look be aware of what's happening to his armor as he spends more time out in the elements like the armor is is getting cold you see it collecting frost and a little bit of ice on it uh so again there must be some sort of insulation underneath his armor under inside of his suit that's uh, helping protect him from the elements because he doesn't seem to feel cold he doesn't seem to uh, he complained about the cold again. Just like he wasn't complaining about the heat, so it looks like whatever is underneath of his armor works two ways for whatever environment he's in, which is a pretty darn handy thing to have. But it, I thought it was really cool the way the Beskar was sort of like frosting over. I thought that was a really really cool look uh, as they're on this this you know ice planet. This uh, I'm gonna forget the name again. This Maldus Caldo, <laughs> Maldo Crease. Good lord, you'd think I'd be better at this. As far as remembering names goes, hey, I'm good at the podcasting part. Just sometimes the names are a little weird. All right. Well, so again, let's get back and let's get back into into things because uh, it seems like our heroes are in dire straits at this point. The giant mama spider has crashed them back into the ice cave. They were unable to take off, unable to leave, and uh, mama spider's trying to trying to puts her suckers little face thing up against the cockpit glass. And it looks like our heroes are going to be in big trouble because they can't take off, they can't, they can't access the the weapon system, seem to be damaged. There's nothing they can do. It's only a matter of time. And then all of a sudden, uh, laser blasts start happening from outside of the Razor Crest. And and the, the spiders are getting cleared off of the Razor Crest. And it's uh, Mando, Baby Yoda. They all sit and, and sort of wonder what the heck is happening out there. Mando decides he's got to go investigate. He's got to see what's going on. He goes outside and that, what does he find? He finds our friends Carson, Teva, and Trapper Wolf outside in their X-Wings shooting off the spiders. Now, why is this pretty cool? Well, there's a lot of reasons why this is pretty cool. But uh, the, the weaponry, I'm pretty sure that is a rifle that you can play with in a Star Wars Battlefront. So, hey, I like that. <laughs> I like Star Wars Battlefront a lot. And uh, I was really excited to see that kind of weaponry brought to life on this show. So a really, really fun thing right there. Uh, the A2, the A280C is what you use in Star Wars Battlefront. And that's exactly what this looks like to me. So Amanda makes his way outside and he sees these New Republic forces helping him out, clearing off the, uh, the critters from the hull. And it's at this point that, uh, the X-Wing pilots decide just to, uh, finish their conversation with the Mando uh, they had some questions, you know, particularly, again, we're focused back on episode six and the events of that. The, the New Republic has obviously been looking for Mando for his role, trying to figure out what happened. 
to them because, hey, listen, there's a lot of weird things that went down on that prison ship. You know, a, one prisoner was escaped. Three more turned up in those cells. Another New Republic officer was killed, but Mando tried to, his best to protect that officer, and they, they seem to recognize that. They seem to appreciate that. So they're sort of willing to look... They're sort of willing to give Mando a, a pass on, on breaking the one criminal out for turning in three others and for helping their their fellow New Republic officer, which is very, very nice. But they aren't willing to uh, help him patch up his ship. So... <laughs> So kind of a funny moment as uh, they, they risk their lives to clear off those giant uh, ice spiders, uh, but they have no interest in helping him uh, repair his ship, which I thought, again, I thought was pretty funny because they just get back in their ships after they, they get the information from, Mandalo the, from the Mandalorian, uh, and they just go about their day. Back to their lives patrolling the star system. And I, I did like the line that, uh, that uh, Carson uses here, that they, these are trying times, so they're willing to kind of give Mando a pass. And that's basically the end of the episode here. So, the uh, what's the best way to just to, to say what happens next? I mean, they, they make enough repairs to the, to the Razor Crest that they're able to resume their journey. But the Razor Crest is in bad shape, and uh, you know the closing shot of this episode is uh, a shot that we saw in the trailers of the Razor Crest kind of limping through space, badly damaged. Uh, and we were like, oh man, what does this mean uh, for for Mando for uh, for Baby Yoda, uh, you know, interestingly enough, and as the close, I, I should say, as the closing shot, we see Baby Yoda suck down one more of this poor frog woman's eggs. Baby Yoda may be a bit of a monster. I'm <laughs> Again, I'm not quite sure how to process this. I mean, is this just a fun bit for the kids and we're not supposed to think too deeply about this because she has so many eggs still in there? I mean, let's be honest, the jar of eggs is not like a... a bursting at the seams full of eggs. It's not like she's going to miss one or two. There aren't that many in there. Anyway, I don't know. It's 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 weird wild stuff with Baby Yoda chomping down these eggs and uh, Mando trying his best, but not <laughs> not doing too much to stop him from from enjoying the, the, the bounty that is Frog Woman's eggs. So again, the, we close out with the Razor Crest limping across space. And we are left to wonder, like, where are we gonna, where, where are we gonna pick up next? And it sort of seems like, now, by all, I should say before I get into things, it seems by all rights that that Peyton Reed is doing the next episode because I suspect that we're gonna get a direct continuation from the end of this event. We'll pick up with Mando and Baby Yoda delivering Frog Lady to that moon of Trask and and reuniting her with her husband so that he can get that lead on the the Mandalorian covert that is supposed to be on the, on the planet or on the moon uh, where the, where they're going. So an interesting turn of events as far as like the narrative goes between season 1 and season 2. Uh, you know, a lot of season 1 uh, our episodes yeah, they were fairly close together but they weren't um, you know, it felt it definitely felt like there was time between most of them with the exception of of, of 7 and 8. In in this instance, uh, you know, Episode two picks up right as one is ending, you know, maybe maybe minutes after, maybe an hour after. It depends, you know. Mando was on that bike for a while. He had a he had a bit he had a he had a bit of a journey to get back to Moss Eisley, but you know, roughly we're picking up right where the other one left off. And I sort of assume that this is what's going to happen with episode three. We're going to kind of pick up where we left off in episode two. So a much more 
a, a much more condensed sort of a timeline between the episodes here. So events seem to be moving very fast, at least in these first three episodes. Now, I'm also sort of assuming that the the, the structure of this season will be very similar to that of season one, where uh, the first three episodes sort of act as act one. And the next, you know, two to three will be the middle act. And then the final two episodes are the, are the main closing act, a big... Uh, big battles, big revelations, big mysteries, big cliffhangers. Uh, you know, it just, it, it, there's a lot of ways for it to go, obviously, but I, I suspect it's going to be a lot of that, that, that similar structure for this season of The Mandalorian. At least that seems to be the way it's going, but a shorter timeline between the episodes so that uh, things will be more impactful. You know, will the Razor Crest get fixed up real quick? Or does, do, will episode four after this one space out so that the, the ship's able to undergo repairs? I guess we're, we're going to have to wait and find out. You know, the, the one thing that I initially wasn't crazy about, but I've really grown to like about the series is that it doesn't offer a little clue, a little little uh, teaser for the next episode, a little uh, preview of the next episode. You know, we, we go into each Friday morning, we go into it, and we don't know where we're getting. You know, we have some ideas because some information's come out. Like, I, th- I think it was known that this was a, a Peyton, Peyton episode, a Peyton Reed episode. Uh, but other than that, like, you know, yeah. Nothing. I mean, they're not even releasing the names, the the, the chapter names, on, on these episodes, and uh, you know, in the, in the first like forty eight, seventy two hours, I don't think, you know, it's just chapter nine, chapter ten, and you know, it's not until you watch the episode that you get the title card and you know what the chapter is. So uh, interesting stuff going on going forward. Uh, I'm really excited, and I, I, some people seem to be a little critical of these of the episode uh, that it's sort of doing that that placeholder thing. This is just kind of like a filler episode is, is one of the things I've heard about the episode. I, I don't think so. I know I, I saw, you know, again, you heard the season one review that I did. I sort of had that mentality about some of them. Uh, but on the rewatch, I, I decided that was not the case, that it was uh, the everything that happened in the episodes was imperative for the character of Din Djarin to grow and to progress. And in this case, I don't even think this is about growing and progressing. This is about the narrative and, and what we have to do for the narrative. And, I mean, it's Star Wars. You get attacked by creatures. That's just how it goes. And the Mando is a character who lives on the outskirts of the law. So that makes a little bit of sense that he's going to run into some issues with the New Republic from occasion. And I like the fact that because he's a character in the gray, he can run into some trouble with the New Republic. He's obviously run into trouble with the Empire already. But he's this character that can kind of dance between the worlds. So we can get a double look, or a, a deeper look, at the two sides of the conflict in a post-Return of the Jedi galaxy. You know, the Rebellion is triumphant. They are the New Republic. Let's see what they're doing to uh, restore tr- freedom and liberty to the galaxy. Uh, you know, again, we have X-Wing pilots. They're, they're used to being on the run from the Empire. They're used to striking and sneaking, uh, doing sneak attacks from hidden rebel bases. Uh, now they are the, 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 the law in the galaxy. So they're on patrol. They're out and about. They are enforcing uh, galactic policy, galactic laws. Uh, vice versa, we look at the Empire, fallen from power. They're sort of in tattered disarray. You know, the stormtroopers—they're not in the gleaming white armor anymore. They're—they're—they're they're, they're kind of battered and worn. And you know, they look like the way the rebellion did. So there's again this wonderful juxtaposition of uh, the two sides and how they've—they've they've sort of switched places from the films. I like a character like the Mandalorian who can dance between those worlds and we get to explore both sides of it and in a, in a more uh, unique perspective. So keep doing that. Uh, let us see more of this of this galaxy and 
uh, what it looks like after the fall of the empire, uh, at least the fall of the empire proper, as these imperial remnants uh, still struggle and, and fight to regain control. They, they haven't given up yet. They haven't signed any accords. There's no accord signing. You think Moff Gideon is going to sign a peace accord with Princess Leia? Fat chance. He's going down swinging. And I feel like most of the Empire is going to be the same way. So it's interesting stuff. I really am uh, fascinated and curious what, what, what we'll be seeing uh, as this season plays out, as it progresses. And again, if the show models itself on the same structure as season one, next week's episode is going to be huge. Huge. The third episode of season one was one of the best. The Sin. With the, the Mandalorians, uh, uh, you know, revealing their covert, their covert, and, and coming out to save Din Djarin, to save the child, allow them to escape the bounty hunters on Navarro. Are we going to get that kind of big blowout showdown again? Very possibly. Very possibly. So let, let's see how it goes. Again, Peyton Reed directed this episode. I think he gets to direct the next episode as well. Um, and while this is a fun episode with some great horror tones and horror uh, elements to it, I think you also want to give Peyton Reed a really good Star Wars episode to do too. So, uh, more blasters, more bounty hunters, more droids, all, all that good stuff that we love from Star Wars. All right, I've gone on long enough about the show. Again, I'd love to hear from everyone out there. Well, what did I miss? Were there some Easter eggs I missed? I think there. I, I feel like I got most of them, at least the big ones. I don't know. What do you What do you all have for me? Hit me up. Let me know what I missed. I'm sure there's a few things in there. I got the I got the I got the rifles, I got the droids, I got the I got the pilots, we talked about the aliens. You know, pretty good stuff. Pretty darn good stuff. Scary spiders. Scary, scary spiders throughout. Uh will we know more about Frog Lady? Will we know about a, a proper name for her? Will we know more about her people, her species uh in the next episode? Possibly. Possibly. We'll have to see how that goes. That is that I guess that'd be like the one ding I have about this episode is that we don't know this character's name. We don't know anything about her, her people. But maybe maybe we do next week. We'll find out. Hey, we're not, we're not going to stop watching now. We're in for a penny, in for a pound. All right, so like I said, hit me up on the social media. Engage with me. Let's have a conversation. Let's break it down together on the internet. The internet's the best way to get a hold of me. Social media, the best way to get a hold of me. Mando underscore vision is the handle. Twitter and Instagram. Let's, let's, let's chat. What do you say? What do you say? We, we get down and dirty and talk about the Mando. Get, strip it down to his basic Beskar, baby. <laughs> so stupid. All right. All right. I want to thank you all so much for listening. Uh, it's been a real, it's always a real treat to come onto the, onto the, this, this podcast and, and uh, just, just gush and talk about Star Wars for an hour. It's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun. I hope everyone else is enjoying the season as much as I am. Again, this is episode two of season two of The Mandalorian, chapter 10, The Passenger, written by John Favreau, directed by Peyton Reed of Ant-Man fame. We will be back next week to break down the third installment of season two, when whatever that's titled, we'll share that with you then. Until then, remember, bounty hunting is a complicated profession, but this is the way. We ran the tabs on the Razorcrest. You have an arrest warrant for the abduction of prisoner X6911. However, onboard security records show that you apprehended three priority culprits from the wanted register. Security records also show that you put your own life in harm's way to try to protect that of Lieutenant Davin from the New Republic Correctional Corps. Is this true? Am I under arrest? Technically, you should be. 
but these are trying times. Let's say I forego the bounties on these three criminals. And you two help me fuse my hull so I can get off this frozen rock. What say you fix that transponder and we don't vaporize that antique the next time we patrol the rim? This is the way.